Go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. We're going to uh, end up in Hebrews in a few minutes. But uh, I read uh, a new word, never heard before. So I want to throw it out to you, see if you've heard of this. Here's the word, infobesity. infobesity. Anybody ever heard that word before? Yeah, you've heard of obesity, but uh, information overload, right? So uh, idea, so much information in life. There's so much information, excessive amount of material, such a high capacity of content that it's difficult to process. That is what that word refers to. Well, let's talk about information throughout history. Uh, Early societies passed things through stories, verbal communication, but eventually things were written down. People would write things down and then there were handwritten copies that were made. Eventually, uh, the Gutenberg Press came about and mass information went out as soon as, as books were able to be created. And the Gutenberg Press uh, really changed world, changed the, the, each society. Then we have radio, television, phones, there was a day there was no such thing as a Xerox copy. You know, you could uh, make uh, copies, uh, uh, whatever that machine was called, you know, you'd spin around like this. If you, did anybody remember the name of that? Oh, yes, yeah, okay, yeah, I forgot the name of it. And then the Xerox machine came out and everything was hard copies, but there came a day where everything began to be digital. And when information became digital, I mean, mass information, the content was endless. Emails, text, social media, uh, internet search. Uh, there's a Harvard Business Review that said 60% of people check their emails while using the bathroom. And uh, something else they realize is that 15% of people check their emails at church. Now, I thought you were looking at your Bible app all this time, so, uh, you know, I'm kind of learning a little bit different, but there is an information overload. People are addicted to content. It creates stress, anxiety, ADD, uh, fear of missing out, all kind of thoughts that, uh, uh, that this idea of infobesity can create. As a kid, this is how I started gaining information. I remember going... Uh, to my class and my teacher walked us down to the library. And it was in the library, she introduced us to the librarian. The librarian walked us over to this box and she said this box is called the card catalog. And there's something called the Dewey Decimal System. And there's certain numbers about science and history and literature, and then there's, there's fiction and nonfiction. So it has all this information, and you can pull this uh, card out, and then you can figure out where to go to uh, the right aisles in the, the library to look at certain books, and so you can get information to work on your reports. And so you could go to that section, be a long list of books, and you'd have to kind of sort through that. Or in my case, I was a little more lazy or a lot more lazy. I'd find an encyclopedia, and you'd only have to read a couple paragraphs to try to get that information that you needed uh, to be able to write about. And uh, something else I realized, you can either get information, you can study and get content to write your paper, or what seemed to make sense to me 
as a lazy uh, child, just use your imagination. You can fill a page up with, uh, you know, enough imagination, enough thought, and maybe you can even uh, trick your teacher into thinking that you'd really studied. Well, today is very different, isn't it? All you have to do is to do a Google search. You can take your phone out or your tablet or get on your computer and there's no library needed, no card catalog, no Dewey Decimal System, no encyclopedia. There is more content available today. Someone said there's more content in one day of our lives than in the entire individual's life of somebody that lived during the Middle Ages. I mean, a mass amount of information and it creates a paralysis of analysis. Uh, how do I sort through all of this information? How do I deal with all of this content? Someone said that at the circus where you have the lion tamer and he's holding up the chair and it has three legs and he has it up in the lion's face, the reason that lion doesn't attack is because he's trying to focus on three different objects at once and it's just very confusing to him. And since he can't focus on just one thing, he does nothing. And in this age of information, if we're not careful, we get so much information, we don't know how to sort through this material. Endless content at school, at work, at hobbies, our personal needs in our life. Have you ever had an ache or pain and you're like, I'm gonna look this up on uh, md.com or something. You, know, you start reading, you're like, man, I'm about to die, right? Uh, you kind of see that. There's so much information out there and not just in the physical realm, but also the spiritual realm. If you wanna look something up, I mean, you can find answers to your questions. There are a load of, of podcasts that are out there that you can learn from. You can go to YouTube and there's great information. There's talented uh, preachers, there are passionate people, there's people with great personalities, incredible experiences. And uh, I said this in the first service, if you look really, really long and hard that you can find a better preacher. If you, Okay, you didn't have to be in agreement that much, I guess, but if you look really, and I'm saying really long and hard, you can find a better teacher than me. And this is somebody in the, after the first service said, I, I don't, I, he said, I have to disagree with you on this because this is what I said. If you look long enough, you can find a more stylish preacher than me. You know, somebody with skinny jeans, curly hair, and expensive sneakers, you know, and, uh, you know, they're kind of set. And he said, no, no, you can't get better looking than you. So I appreciate that, and I, and I uh, appreciate the amens that you guys just gave as well. Anyway, if you look long and hard, you may be able to find somebody with even better jokes than me. No, thank you. Okay, I appreciate it. I was really hoping to hear that at least. But anyway, uh, you know, there's great information that is out there. Now, this year, our theme for the year is the truth sets us free. We be believe truth is vital. The word of God is truth. Jesus said he is truth. We want to learn truth. Last week we looked at Acts 2.42 and the, the church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Our beliefs are important. We need to know what the Bible has to say. But it's not just about content in our life. Remember, if you are a Bible teacher, if you teach the children or you minister to another group, you are not just teaching the Bible, you are teaching people. And people matter. 
It's not just disseminating information. It's not just having a podcast and being able to fill our minds with information. There is a secret sauce. There is something important that we must have in our life. This vital component, if we are going to live the Christian life as God intended, remember, here's what Acts 2.42 says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The secret sauce is relationships. God in his divine program knew that it wasn't enough just to get information, but relationships are vital. That's why the incarnation of Jesus is so important. Jesus came to this world, not as a spirit, not as somebody just dropping a book down from heaven and say, here, take this book, figure it out on your own. But Jesus came as one of us. He came as a human being. He came to develop relationships. And in Mark chapter three, we see Jesus, uh, after he had lived a perfect life for those 30, uh, 30 years, and he begins his ministry, he does something in Mark three, verse 14. Then he, talking of Jesus, appointed 12. This is the 12 apostles to the 12 disciples. That they might be What are the next two words? With him. That they might be with him. Jesus called the disciples. He brought them along beside of him. He became flesh so he could spend time with his disciples. In his incarnation, he was truth, but he wanted that truth to be relational. He wanted them to get connected. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, after Jesus had had, uh, started the church and then he died and was buried and he resurrected and he sends the disciples out in Acts one, eight and he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. Notice in Jerusalem, right where you are, in all Judea, the regions around you, In Samaria, those people that you may not like, those people that are different than you, they have a different personality, a different skin color, uh, a different education level, economic level, or uh, whatever we want to put in there. The Samaritans were people that weren't necessarily loved by the, uh, the Jewish people. And he said, I want you to go to everybody. I love everybody. And then go to the end of the earth. I want you to go everywhere. And in Acts, we see the history of the church the ups and the downs, we move from the gospels to how the church was to function and through the rest of the New Testament. And in this book, we see great blessings and we see incredible persecutions as well. This early church, these believers were called followers of the way, often that term. Jesus said, I am the way. And these people were called followers of the way. As they followed Jesus, their families abandoned them, their friends forsook them. There was great personal sacrifice in their life. It was so intense that they began asking the question, is it worth following Jesus? Maybe you've come to that point in your life before, like, is it really worth doing all the stuff that we do? Well, that's what they were going through. Is it worth following Jesus? The sad thing is that many of them said the the culture of the day, the Jewish culture was so strong, so intimidating, that for them to follow Christ, all the things they had to sacrifice, their family wouldn't have anything to do with them. They would lose their jobs. How were they gonna get by? And they said, it's just easier to live in today's culture. 
And so they went back under Judaism. They started offering the sacrifices and doing everything that the Old Testament had commanded, the things that Jesus, when he said, it is finished, no longer were needed. And the book of Hebrews was written to say that Jesus is better than all those things in the Old Testament. It's not about what we do in the Old Testament sacrifice, Jesus is better. It's not about the temple, Jesus is better. It's not about all the rules, Jesus is better. It's not about the feast and the sacrifices and the commands, Jesus is better. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. And when we get to chapter 10, he said, Jesus is better, so I want you to understand this simple truth. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. So he said, remember the word church means assembly, right? It means they called out. They were called out and they were gathered together. There was an assembly. They uh, were people meeting face to face. And so they were in this assembly, but many had gone back under Judaism. And he said, don't forsake it as many have been doing. Many had stopped going to church. They had stopped following Christianity. They had stopped connecting with these other believers. And he said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. I want you to continue going to church. As the manner of some is, there's many that uh, have stopped doing it, but don't do that, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Studies say that a large majority of the teenagers that grow up in church, either in high school or as they enter college, walk away from the church to not return again. We live in a post-Christian era. Our culture says we're not gonna follow the Bible, we're gonna follow our heart. It's gonna be my truth, it's gonna be what I want to do, and nobody's gonna tell me what to do. It's not the church, it's not the Bible, it's not society, it is what I want to do, right? That's the post-Christian America we live in. Many are so busy in life, life is just hectic. I mean, when can I sleep in? When can I go grocery shopping? When can I do the laundry? Or, you know, I want my kids in sports, and so they're on a travel league on Sunday morning, so we put them in a travel league, and we want them to be able to college, get a college scholarship one day, so we have them active in sports, so we're so busy in life that we stop going to church, or maybe you'd gotten hurt in church. If you are around the church very long, you will realize you deal with sinful people. Nobody's perfect, right? You deal with people that have flaws. The problem of the church is that everybody in the church has a sin nature. And the problem of your family or the problem in our country or the world, we all sin. And sadly, many people get hurt by other people in church. Could even be a pastor. Maybe you say, well, I haven't learned anything new or I watch Charles Stanley on television or I'll watch my podcast or listen to Christian radio. All these things are great. Or maybe the habits over the past 16 months of the pandemic, you've just kind of gotten out of the habit of going to church. It's been so great. If you recall, we had one service before the pandemic. We moved to have two different services. We started out, we were about... 50% attendance, and really since Easter, we've been at about 90% of what we uh, were averaging before uh, the pandemic. Now, the the important thing is this, and often it's because people have gotten vaccinated or, uh, you know, we have a mass service in the early hour and we have different things, but often I've heard this, it is so good to be back, I missed it. Man, being online was great and I needed that, but man, I really miss being here. It is so great to be back. John said it this way in 2 John 
chapter 1, verse 12. He's writing to some believers, and he says, having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink. So he said, I didn't want to send you a text message. I didn't want it to be an email. But I can't come right now, so that's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to write a letter. But I didn't want to. I would rather do this, he goes on to say. But I hope to come to you and speak face-to-face that our joy may be full. That's pretty powerful. I want to see you face-to-face so we can both have joy. There's something about face-to-face connection. In our society where our young people are texting all the time, I am concerned that there is not enough face-to-face interaction. Now, I think texting is great. Normally, I do a one-letter text. Somebody sends me a text, and I write K, you know, and so my kids say, Dad, you're old, you can get away with it. It's called, uh, you know, short texting or something like that, but if you're young and you do that, it means you're mad at somebody, but, you know, I... Like, okay, I'll send a K. Or, or you know, I, I got my picture now and I can do this too. You know, I have a picture like that I can send. That's pretty cool as well. Don't, don't uh, make that a picture, you know, on, uh, online or anything. But anyway, uh, texting is great. I mean, when you can just send some quick information out or send an email, it's awesome, isn't it? But there's something about face-to-face gathering. I mean, Zoom is awesome, being able to have work meetings, and I know people are Zoomed out and stuff, but just think about how great it is to be able to have that. To be able to get on Zoom today and to talk to missionaries or pastors in certain countries, national pastors, and being able to minister to those. Pastor Ryan has done that a number of times. So instead of him flying to another country, dealing with the time, dealing with finances, dealing with the culture, dealing with any sicknesses, all the traveling, being able to jump on technology and to minister to people all around the world. I mean, technology is awesome. It's great. Uh, I had uh, some, uh, grand, you've heard me pout about this a little bit, but I had my grandkids uh, move down to Florida. Also kids, but uh, especially grandkids moved down to Florida, right? And uh, so uh, it's great to be able to get on FaceTime to talk to them and and, uh, you know, be able to relate and stuff. And, and I love technology. You know, seniors that aren't able to be here, there's people that are shut in that can't be here. There's people that are looking for a church. Just this uh, past week, last Sunday, somebody was looking for a church. They watched us online. They signed up during the week for our Discover Choice class. And, and uh, nine o'clock this morning, they came to that class. You know, technology is wonderful, and we want that to increase, and we want to continue to do ministry uh, for the future, and there could be a prison ministry. We're doing all kinds of things, but let me say, the secret sauce of the church is this. It's relationships. God wants us to have relationship. He wants us to connect. He wants us to find a place of belonging, to have a place of acceptance. Let me tell you a story about early technology in my life that I thought would, um, would change things, and, and I was incorrect. In the mid-'70s, maybe if, if you're older, you remember around 75 or something like that, uh, Jaws came out, and nobody would go to the beach you know, after they watched Jaws. There were long lines. I mean, but <clears throat> right around that time, something else came about, and it was called the VCR. The VCR, man, was life-changing. You could go down to Blockbuster or I think it was Errol's that uh, my family went to and you could uh, get a membership and, 
be able to walk in this store and have rows and rows of movies and you look at the movies and you have 30 minutes to an hour to find a movie and then you would get the box and you would take it up and then they would say, oh, I'm sorry, that movie's gone. We don't have it anymore. You know, and then you're kind of waiting. Do you remember if it's a really good movie and somebody's bringing a movie back, you'd kind of wait there for a second hoping to get that. Then you would drive back home and watch that movie. And I said to myself as, I don't know, uh, at that point, uh, uh, 10 or 12 years old, and I thought, nobody's gonna go to a movie. All you have to do is, is to rent one video. You don't have to have expensive popcorn. You don't have to buy multiple tickets. You, you don't have to have the inconvenience, you know, if you gotta run to the restroom during the movie, you miss half of it or whatever, you know? And so you can just hit the pause button and say, nobody's gonna go to movies. But you know what happened? Everybody kept going to movies. Why? Because people like to be together, right? You can watch a movie on uh, television, but there's something dynamic about the larger center. There's something about going to a sporting event that's different than watching it on television. People enjoy being together. And these people had struggled in the early church and they were moving away from the relationships. And the author is writing saying, no, make sure you stay connected. The Bible begins like this in Genesis 2.18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Don't you agree with that? Loneliness is terrible. God did not create us to live in independence. He created us to be together. That's why he created family. That's why he created community. And that's why in the New Testament, he established the church. We long to belong we all want to be a part of a team. We want to have a family. We enjoy going to a party. Uh, this past year, people have, have uh, rallied for causes, right? And they've gone into the streets marching. Why did they do that? Well, there's a cause. I want to make a difference. I'm with other people. There's something about that belonging. People join gangs, uh, places of similar interest. And that is why we go to church as well. We are the choice family. And the church is people. It's not the walls here. It's us. You can learn alone. You can worship alone. You can raise your family alone. But when you stay disconnected, whether it's because of the hurts of your life or you're so busy with life or maybe you're just kind of a quiet introvert, you're kind of shy, just not easy for you to reach outside of yourself. All those, I understand that, but the secret sauce of the church is relationships and you've got to have relationships. Proverbs 18, 24 says it this way, a man that has friends must do what? Show himself friendly, which is not easy. Reach outside of yourself. Let me give you a couple thoughts. Here in Hebrews chapter 10, we're gonna look at verse 24 and 25, and I wanna talk about how can I stay connected to my fellow Christians. If I don't wanna do what Hebrews 10 says, forsaking the assembling, what are some things I can do to keep that connection? Well, look at verse 24, Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider one another, that's a key phrase, in order to stir up love and good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but notice, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Verse 24, consider one another. Verse 25, exhorting one another. There are many one another's in the Bible. 
I tell you, one of the best studies that you could do, I really wanna encourage you to do this. Either get a Bible app and do a search for that term one another and look at all the one another's in the Bible or other people have done it and just type one another and do a Google search and, and uh, go and look at it and look at all the things that God says that one another we should do together. You see, that's a special word that God gives. Here's my first thought, relationships are key. God wants us to have relations. That's why all the one another's are there. That's why he created the church. Yes, there's hurts in church. Yes, it, it takes time to be a part of the church. If we're gonna accomplish what God wants us to do, it's not an easy thing, but relationships are key. That's why in Acts 2.42, they were united in doctrine, but also fellowship. The relationships are vital. You can come into a church and leave and be anonymous and never meet anybody, but that's not God's intention. Especially guys. You know, guys are super independent, right? We pick ourselves up by the bootstrap. We can live life alone. And let me say this. This is not a message for you. This is a message for me. Uh, all week long, I'm, I'm busy working on projects. I'm putting the message together, and I'm so busy building a message about relationships. I kind of look at my life, and man, I'm so busy who am I spending relationships with, right? I mean, it's something I need in my life. It's what you need in your life. We all need to have relationships. Relationships are key, whether that be in a large group setting like this. And let me say, if you're online, make sure you not only watch the sermon, but you get connected to a small group. There's the large group, there's the small group, and then there's the involvement group. We call it MRI, ministering to people, building relationships, and getting involved. Here's my first question. Am I open to relationships? Do I just wanna come and hear a message? Because you can hear a message on a podcast or on the television. But there's something about relationships that God wants us to have. That's his plan. Am I open to relationships? Relationships are key. Let me give you the second. Involvement is key. Look at verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. The first, to consider one another. And this is a relational term, and so I want you to consider other people. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, consider the lilies. When I think of Jesus making that statement, I can see him going out in a field and picking a flower and just looking at it. And he said, guys, I want you to consider the lily. I want you to look at that flower. I want you to pay attention. Look at my creativity. Look at the beauty that I have. And God says, I want you to consider one another. I want you to pay attention to people. Be concerned with them. Observe fully to take note. Regard the welfare of, to see clearly. Don't jump to a conclusion, but really consider them. If we're not careful, we can uh, get the wrong idea. Well, they didn't shake my hand. I guess they don't like me. Maybe they didn't even see you. Maybe they were busy, or, and they shouldn't have been. They should have been focused, but you know what? We're not always, right? So consider one another. Guys, if we're not careful, we can be so busy in ministry. You know, we're on the welcome team or we're making coffee or we're putting chairs out or we're singing or we're working uh, behind the scenes or well, all, all the things that we can be busy doing. We can be so busy with ministry that we forget to minister to people. Who can you minister to today? Don't have the idea, wonder who's gonna talk to me today. No, go and talk to them. You reach outside of your comfort zone. 
because somebody else struggles just like you. Yes, it's a risk. Yeah, it can be kind of scary. Yeah, maybe they won't talk back to you or whatever, but you know what? That's God's plan. Get involved. Consider one another, and here's what he wants you to consider. To stir up in love and good works. It just means to motivate or call to action so people will love more and do good works more. Encourage people to get involved. We do two things here. We wanna love God and we wanna love people. That's God's plan. You know, there are people that have come into the service today that have needs. How can you minister to them? How can you be involved? Here's my second question. Am I open to getting involved? It's not just coming and listening to the sermon, but it's us being the choice family together and us connecting. Relationships, involvement, and then number three, encouragement is key. Look at verse 25 again. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So he's saying, I want you to not don't go to church. I don't know if I said that right, but he's saying, I want you to go to church in the negative. Uh, he's kind of a double name. Don't miss going to church. Now, when I was growing up, this is what uh, uh, I recall at least. Go to church so you can hear the preaching. Go to church so you can have the teaching. Go to church because the Bible's important. And I do agree with that. I don't have a problem with it, but that, that's not really what the Bible says here. God says, I want you to go to church so you can encourage one another. See, you can learn the Bible. You can put a, a tape in. You can put streaming on. You can turn the television on, the radio on. There's a lot of ways you can gain information. And probably the sermon would be better. As I said earlier, the jokes won't be better. But you know what? Uh, you could probably hear a better lesson or somewhere else, right? Somebody's going to have a better delivery. But you know what you can't do on the radio? You can't connect with people. Make sure that you are connecting with others. Why? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. That's what many were doing. But exhorting. And the exhort just simply means to encourage. We're here to encourage each other. Should the worship encourage us? Yes. Should the message encourage us? Yes. But the relationships need to encourage each other as well. How many ministers do we have at Choice Baptist? Well, every one of us, whether we're online or in this room today, we are all ministers and God says, I want you to encourage one another. The word exhort just simply means to call near, to encourage, to be near, to invite, to urge, to pray. It's referred to as the Holy Spirit when he's called the comforter. When the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and helps us through a struggle. It's the same word that's referred to as Jesus when he's called the advocate. It's one that comes alongside and picks us up. When we are down, you know when you have a bad day, I don't wanna go to church today uh, because I, I just am in a bad mood. That's the day you need to be at church, right? Thank you, all right. Encouraging one another. Be there for one another. We need each other. And don't isolate. You gotta share your faults. Confess your faults to one another. Let people know. Doesn't mean we walk in the service and the welcome guy says, how you doing? Well, let me tell you and just dump on him. It's probably not the point, but there better be some Christians in your life that you can turn to. We need that encouragement. And if you're down, 
we don't need to be condemning. We don't need to have the attitude, you made your bed, you sleep in it. It's your own, your own fault. You gotta deal with it or whatever. But the idea of an advocate is one that comes along beside, picks us up, dusts us off, and gets us back on track. Encouragement. Let me talk to parents for just a second. Parents, when your kids have done something wrong, do they get the attitude from you condemnation? Like you're dumb, you're stupid, you're rejected, I don't wanna have anything to do with you, or do they sense, yeah, I messed up, but I have people that love me. I have people that are there. It's not condemning, but they are encouraging. They're not rejecting me. They're not calling me worthless or a failure, but they love me, they accept me, they're forward-looking, they're focused on the future, where we're going, and they put courage within me. That's what encourage means, in courage, to put courage within someone, to help them to move ahead and accomplish what you need to. Third question, am I open to encouraging others? And I could say this, and being encouraged. Let me ask you guys for just a second. Has your dad ever said, I love you? A lot of guys can't remember a time when their dad said, I love you. Or let me flip it this way. When is the last time you as a dad have told your kids you love them? Do they feel blessed by you? Remember Abraham blessed his children. He placed his hands on them and he cared for them. God the Father spoke to his son and said, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Does your family know that you're proud of him? Mom, you've dealt with your kids being home all the time, dealt with sometimes a frustration, some difficulty, <clears throat> but do they know that you are encouraging? Am I open to encourage others around me? See, these are three connection points we need in our life. Let me just encourage you don't forsake the assembling. Friends, if you're online, stay online. Get connected to a small group. When you're ready to come back, we're here. We wanna continue reaching out to those that, that can't be here. We have a community around us that needs to know uh, about Jesus, and we wanna do everything possible. If you're online, continue to share it with people around you. Uh, tell people that Jesus loves them. You don't have to post everything about politics or what you don't like if something's going on, but tell people that they are loved by Jesus. Be an encouragement to them. And if you're in this room today, what are your relationships like? What is your involvement like? What is your encouragement to other people around? Don't just walk in and walk out, but let's make sure we are connecting with some other people. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. We wanna pray for our church. We have a class going on right now called Discovering Choice where people are learning how they can get connected. Friend, if you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, make that decision. The most important thing that you can do in your life for all eternity is to trust Christ. Do you know that you're going to heaven? Do you have that settled? Has there been that point that you asked Christ to save you? You trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection? Have you followed in baptism? Have you connected with the church? Are you building relationships, getting involved, spending time encouraging others? Let's make those decisions today. How encouraging am I in my home? At work, 
at school, when I'm around my friends, when I'm in my community, how do people perceive me? Am I an encourager or a discourager? How do I relate to my parents, to my siblings, to my kids? Dear Father, help us to be an encouragement. Help us to be the church. Lord, as we sing this song of praise to you, you are so good. Help us to be more like you. May we live out the one another's. Help us to love you and to love people. May we leave here today an encouragement to those that are around us. And God, I pray for that lonely person, that person that is watching online right now. May you place people in their midst. May they see the glorious creation that you have around. May they look into your word. May they understand you and your incarnation, all that you are. Encourage them. I pray for that one that is discouraged in this room today. They're feeling isolated and alone. God, place people in their life to encourage them. Help them to encourage others. And Lord, I pray that our homes will be a place of joy, of love, that when we see each other face to face, that we would have true joy. And God, I ask this in Jesus' name.